crazy to me to think that next Sunday is Christmas. Is anyone, am I the only one that feels like it's weird that like it seems like Christmas is already here upon us, that, that it's just like just yesterday was Thanksgiving and now it's Christmas, but it's true. Next Sunday is Christmas morning, and, uh, and that's going to happen whether we're anticipating, expecting it, ready for it or not, it's coming. So uh, I hope that, that part of your Christmas celebration will include joining us here on Sunday morning at 11 a.m., there is, there is something special about spending this time building our hope and our anticipation, our expectation for the coming of our Savior, and then gathering to worship that our Savior has come, that he's here, and that in him we have hope beyond the circumstances of, the, of our lives. So 11 a.m. next Sunday, uh, it'll be, it's, a, it's a unique experience because only what, once every seven years, Christmas lands on a Sunday morning where we get to combine both our communal worship with our Christmas celebration, but, but that will be true. And then hopefully you'll consider joining us again for one more time of anticipating uh, the birth of Christ through an Advent celebration on Christmas Eve. You know, within uh, the Christian faith, Christmas is something like a, a, a crescendo in music. I'm not even sure I'm using the right word there. I probably should have Googled it one more time before I got up here. But, you know, a crescendo, I'm thinking like this, this building moment, this, you can kind of anticipate something's coming, and then it explodes, and then, and then, then you experience the, the kind of the, the, the beauty of the song, and then it comes down. It's, it's something like the climax in a story. You know, the climax in a story, it's not the beginning of the story. It's also not the end. It's like this point toward which the whole story has been building and then out of which the, the rest of the story all makes sense. And I think it's important for us to think about when we think about Christmas is that Christmas is actually that moment of climax. It's not Easter. It's not when, when Christ is crucified and comes back from the grave. What happens here on Christmas, I believe, is even more significant than that. Because we don't get to have, we don't get to celebrate Easter. We don't get to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior without our Savior coming to this world, to creation in the form of man. And so Christmas is that crescendo moment, that, that middle of the story, that, that, that pinnacle of the, of the moment, the climax of the story. Now, when, when, you, when you experience uh, the crescendo in, in, in music, you, you experience kind of this building tension, this, you know, some might say it feels a little bit like anxiety, or some may feel like it feels like excitement, or, or any number of things, but you, 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 can, you can feel this tension building inside of you, like uh, if I were to take a rubber band right now and stretch it out, and stretch it out, and stretch it out, it wouldn't just be me who's sweating up here waiting for it to snap on my hands, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us would feel a little bit of that, that tension building and building and building until it explodes. A couple of years ago, Tar and I took our kids to Great Wolf Lodge, which is this really cool indoor water park. And they have them a few different places, but we went to one in Pennsylvania. And they have this attraction in the park. You're in there, there's kids running everywhere, parents are sitting on the lawn chairs and whatnot, watching their kids go down slides and things like that. But there's this one section where it's like this, um, it's like a little spray ground area, right? And above the spray ground area, there's this gigantic bucket right? And, and, and you see this bucket slowly filling with water. There's a little bit of stream filling up, and you know something's happening. And as time goes by, that, that bucket starts to tip, wobbles a little bit this way and that way, until it reaches its fullness and dumps over, and, and 500 gallons of water dump on your head, 
right? It's, it's definitely an experience worth having one time. If anything, just kind of like try and see who can hold out longest to stay there without moving. It's a real challenge, right? You can feel the tension building up as you see that bucket fill more and more and more. And I think, I think that's what Christmas is meant to be in the life of the church. Now, granted, there's a theological significance of Christmas, but then our experience of Christmas as the church body is meant to be like standing underneath this bucket that's slowly filling with water, waiting for something to happen, knowing it's getting closer and closer until that moment when the bucket tips over and you're just deluged with water, right? But I think nowadays, it's difficult, it's truly difficult for us to experience Christmas in this way. For, for many of us, this idea of waiting for, for hope, for the idea of Christ being our hope, for, for joy, for peace, for love, it, it feels foreign. It, it feels just outside of our reach. And for many of us, it feels like we're watching a, a pot of water to you know, boil, right? You, you're watching, and it's like, man, this is taking forever. I've been here forever. And, and, and it's that, that sense of like, I know I'm supposed to be feeling something. I know, I'm, but it's just not happening. It's, I'm just not getting excited. I'm just not feeling and sensing that hope that's mine in Christ Jesus. But here's the thing. This is actually the beauty of God's design because God isn't waiting for us to feel hopeful, to, to feel the peace that comes from above, to, to be filled with joy. History moves forward whether we're feeling it or not, right? History isn't waiting for us to feel a certain way. And regardless of whether we feel this building tension of excitement and hope, whether we feel that or not, Matters not because God's plan, God's design for history still moves on. It still carries on. History as we know it has been on this building trajectory toward the birth of Christ since the beginning of time. And as a result of the birth of Christ, history has since responded to that birth of Christ, the, the coming of our Savior born in a manger. The promise this is, this is seen in a, in a promise given to God's people through the prophet Isaiah. A, a promise that tells of a God who he himself would enter into our creation. Enter into his creation, sorry, and, and rescue us and redeem us from evil and sin and darkness. Look at what the prophet says in Isaiah 9 too. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, us have seen, uh, on them has light shone. See, the, the future day that Isaiah spoke about over 700 years before Jesus was born becomes today on Christmas. It, it becomes this day. It, one of the worship songs we were singing, uh, we, there's a line that says, let it be this day that we sing the hymn of heaven, Right? Actually, I just butchered the lyrics, but that was the song, Hymn of Heaven. And then there's a line that says, let it be this day that we sing this song, right? See, over the past few weeks, we've, we've looked at the lives of individuals in the history of mankind whose, whose very purpose and identity was to point toward this day when light would be shown in a dark world. Isaac, who was, who was born a child of promise to, to parents who were, who were beyond um, birthing age, right? They're both nearly 100 years old. This child is born to them miraculously, 
but whose life, in, in the story of whose life, we see an example of a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, whose, whose very life points forward to Jesus, who would atone for the sins of all the world. Moses, whom God would use to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt, whom God would use to shepherd his people out of slavery and into a new land, a promised land. Moses' life points to Jesus, who, who would come and rescue his people from slavery to sin and then be our shepherd and lead us into a new land, the promised land, the kingdom of heaven, right? John the Baptist, we talked about him last week, who was a voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord, right? John came baptizing with water for the forgiveness of sins, calling people to repentance, to come back to God, to return to their heavenly father, right? John the Baptist pointed to one who had baptized with the Holy Spirit, baptized his people into a new life through his Holy Spirit. See, all of life before the advent of Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem pointed forward to this day, Christmas, pointed forward to, to this very special day, the fulfillment of God's promises. And here's the thing. Yeah, you're like, you know, Pastor Dan, Jesus was born a long time ago in Bethlehem. That's, that's a day of the past, not today. All of life since then finds its meaning from that moment of climax, from that moment of crescendo in the story of history. See, Christmas is the day that we celebrate as a day when Christ Jesus, our Savior, was born. But really, it's that moment where that bucket of water, that 500-gallon bucket of water that, that you're standing underneath has been filling, filling, tipping until it pours over and you're covered in over 500 gallons of water. That's, that's, what, that's what Christmas is meant to be. And it, it doesn't, we don't get there by singing more carols or, or, or eating more cookies or decorating the outside of our house more or filling up our trees with more presents underneath it. We get there by looking to the source of the promise of God and watching as we get closer and closer to that fulfillment on Christmas. This crescendo moment is captured in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it. There, there should be Bibles in the, in the back of the, the seat in front of you. But this is the, the story of the birth of Christ. It's in Luke chapter 2. And, and I'm going to read for us the first 20 verses that tell this story, this crescendo moment for us. Luke chapter 2, starting in, cha in verse 1, and I'll read through to verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that, he, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at, that, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that, that Lord, are, are filled with your promises. Lord, may we look to your scriptures as being uh, that place where the, the, the water is filling up that bucket, where we can see your promises filling more and more, filling up to a moment of fulfillment, Lord. Open our eyes to see the riches of your scriptures. Give our hearts courage and our minds uh, the attentiveness to, to, to notice so that we too might wonder and ponder as the shepherds and Mary did. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story of Christmas here in Luke chapter 2 comes to us in, in three acts. Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. And this first act is in the first seven verses where Jesus is born. Act 2, the shepherds are visited by the angels. And Act 3, the gospel goes forth. Now, these first seven verses... It is where Luke tells his readers, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. There being Bethlehem, and her being Mary, Jesus' mother. And any parent can tell you that this moment is special. In fact, it's unlike any other moment in this world. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that a mother and a father will anticipate for months and months, nine months to be exact, scientifically speaking, I guess. But nine months, a parent will prepare to welcome their child into the world. You know, first, when you first find out, you tell your, your friends and your family members, your loved ones, those people you're excited to share the news with. After that, you, you, you get the fun part, and actually most dads enjoy this part, where they give you one of those scanner guns, and you walk through the store, and you get to beep all those things you want to register for the, for the, uh, the, baby, the baby shower, right? After that, you, you, put it, you get a date on the calendar when you're going to have the, the baby shower, and so you start looking forward to that date. We're going to have a party where we get to open these presents, and we get to share this special moment with, with, with special people. Then you, you start preparing the nursery, right? Some, some will paint the walls. Others will build the crib. There's, there's a space for the, the changing table. All these things. You, you prepare the space for when you're going to bring your, your child home. You start to stock up on diapers and, and wipes and onesies. You get burp cloths. You, you get all the supplies you're going to need to take care of your child when you bring your child home. And, and, and then even as you get closer, 
you go and get a car seat and you put it in your car. And if you need help, you can actually take it to the fire department or the police station. They'll make sure that it's, that it's securely placed in your car, right? I mean, this is, it's not a moment to feel insecure. It's kind of an exciting moment where you're like, hey, I get to actually make sure I'm doing the first thing I'm going to do for my child when I bring them home from the hospital and make sure they're safe, right? You get to do that as you get closer. And even still, as you get closer and closer, there's even more ways that you prepare to welcome this child into your home. A mother's body, it's not just, it's not just the external things that we anticipate. The mother's body will prepare to deliver the child. There's, there's a thing called Braxton Hicks, which are these like practice contractions. Got to put it in air quotes. Practice contractions because they're just kind of like preparing the body to, to, to deliver your, the, the child, Right? And then your, your, your visits, your visits to the doctor. You know, initially you start going once a month to the doctor, and then as you get closer, you go every other week. And then, then you're down to visiting the doctor every week as you get closer and closer to the baby's due date. See, everything in your world at this point is moving toward this moment, moving toward this moment when, when the child, your child, will be born. And then the day comes. The day comes when, when you have to go to the hospital and, and they'll get mom settled into a room on the labor and delivery floor. They'll make sure that, that she's, she's connected to all the machines so they can monitor the baby's heart rate and, and, and make sure the baby's comfortable and, and make sure mom is comfortable and they can keep track of how, how fast contractions are coming and things like that. And, and now, now, now you can actually see your baby's heartbeat on the monitor, right? Like as it's going. But it's, but it's not quite time yet. We're getting closer, but it's not time yet. Now mom's contractions are getting stronger and, and, and more intense. And the doctor comes in and says, okay, it's time. And, and in that moment, there's a flurry of activity that happens. The, the delivery team comes in. They bring in all, uh, a warming table and, and the things that they'll need for once the baby gets there. And, and more and more people fill the room getting ready for that moment when your child arrives. Luke says in Chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The time had come. This is, not, this is not just like a, you know, hey, they're going to have dinner, and then after that, mom's going to give birth. This has been something that has been building, and, and their anticipation has been growing toward this moment. The time had come. But, but what kind of time are we talking about here? In one sense, it's the time of birth of a child. It's, it's that moment like the sand in the hourglass is, has depleted, has gone down, and, and all the sand, the sand has run out. And so it's go time, right? It's time to deliver. In that sense, the time's run out, it's time to go. But in a bigger sense, in a much more eternal way, in, in, in the sense of eternal time, we're not talking about, we're talking about something bigger, broader. We're talking about a, 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 a fulfillment of time. Not, a, not a, a, an hourglass sand running out, but a fulfillment of time, right? In his letter to the followers of Jesus in Galatia, Paul describes this moment as, as, as this fullness of time, right? In my daughter's class, they, they get a marble for each day that they do a good job listening to the teacher and to one another and are respectful of each other, and, and that marble goes in a jar. And, and for every day that, that, jar, that, that they do a good job, that jar gets fuller and fuller and fuller until the jar is full, and once the jar is full, all the kids in the class know 
that it's time for a party. They have a pizza party, a pajama party, whatever. They get parties, right? Paul describes this moment of Jesus' birth not as a time's up or, or no more sand in the hourglass sort of moment, but a fullness of time moment. The jar has been filled with marbles. In Galatians 4, 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come, when that jar of marbles had been filled, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now he uses a, a Greek word here, pleroma, which, which means complete or full, right? It doesn't mean that, that we've run out of time and so we've got to go. It means that, that all of this time we've been working towards something and now the, all, that, all that work, all that effort, all that planning, all, that, all those promises have been complete, have been fulfilled. And so the jar is full now, people. And when we, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, we're celebrating so much more than just this amazing story of a child lying in a manger and some angels visiting shepherds out in the field who come and see this child. We're, we're, separating, or we're, we're celebrating the, the fullness of time. All of time has been moving toward this moment. All of time makes, is, 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 finds its meaning in coming to this moment. Right? I'd like to think that when I was born, something astronomically amazing happened, right? And if you listen to my mom tell the story, something astronomic, astronomically amazing did actually happen. And I tend to believe her because she's my mom. But, but, but when it comes to Jesus' birth, something astronomically amazing actually does happen. It's beyond the world's comprehension. Something creation has been waiting for since the beginning of time. Something that they've been waiting for for much more than just nine months. When Luke tells us in those days, in the city of David, in the days of Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, the time had come for Mary to give birth. When he's telling us this, he's telling us, the marble jar is full. All these things that would happen before the coming of Christ have been completed. It's full. The marble jar is full. Something special that the world has been waiting for and all of history has been moving toward is happening right now. In those days, in the days of Caesar Augustus, while Quirinius is governor of Syria, the time has come for Mary to give birth. A child is about to be born. But, but here's the thing. It's not just any child. This is a child of promise, the child of promise. The child who people like Isaac and Moses and, and John the Baptist who pointed forward to, to say one day, one will come greater than I. A child whom the prophet Micah tells us will, will be a ruler the world has been waiting for since ancient days. Look at verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. It's, Micah writes, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And this child will not be a, another ruler like what we might expect. This, this child is not like, when you hear ruler, when you hear king, when you hear authority, don't interpret that through your experiences of rulers and authorities in this world. Because this child of promise would be unlike any other king to come. 
This child wouldn't be a, a ruler like the people might expect from Caesar Augustus, right? Anyone who's put much of their hopes in a, a politician or a, a CEO or, or really any other human leader, even pastors, you know how we can be let down by, by those human rulers and authorities, right? We've experienced those human rulers and authorities as a disappointment. As much as we put our hope in them to, to, to fix what's going on or to resolve things or to make everything better, we've all experienced that moment of disappointment when you realize, oh, they're human too, huh? The very evil and darkness that's in this world, it touches their life too, doesn't it? But this baby king, this child born in a manger, our expectations should be different. He's not going to be like those rulers. He isn't like those rulers and authorities. How? Well, Isaiah describes the child of promise in chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, like this. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Listen, this is the name of the king, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These are not just descriptions of who he is. This is who he is. He's not a wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. He's not a mighty God. He's the mighty God. He's the definition of might and authority. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. This king, this child, would not oppress or enslave or burden with heavy taxes like all the kings and the rulers that had come before him. He's a kind of ruler who's got wide enough shoulders to handle what it takes and to, to govern and care for a people, to care for a kingdom. This child born in Bethlehem would be, be a wise king. He'd be a king in whom all the wisdom of the world dwells. He'd be a mighty king. He'd be a faithful and, and steadfast king. He wouldn't be a king who, who would make promises only to turn back on those promises later on. He, he wouldn't be a king who, who, would, who would kind of change his agenda to fit what he wants and what he needs. He would be a king who is focused on caring for and providing for and shepherding the people that dwelled within his kingdom and lived under his reign. He would be a king of whose reign would bring Peace upon the land. So here in, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem at the fullness of time was a sign of hope, right? It was, it was hope in a leader that, that was unlike any other leader that had come before him. In a world of darkness and defeat and oppression, <laughs> it sounds... I mean, if we're realistic here, it sounds like it's describing today, right? But, but in that world of darkness, in that land of darkness, 
Celebrating the birth of a new king unlike any other brings joy to, the, to this darkness. Celebrating that there's an answer for our concerns and our fears and our worries cultivates hope in our hearts. Gives us reason to claim joy even if we don't feel it in that very moment. Why? Because it's all rooted in this king that's born in a manger in Bethlehem. I came across a quote this week from Brennan Manning. I shared it with a group of guys that, that uh, we get together with. And, and Brennan says this. He says, Christmas is the promise that the God who came in history and comes daily in mystery now will one day come in glory. God is saying in Jesus that in the end, everything will be all right. Nothing can harm you permanently. No suffering is irre- irrevocable. No loss is lasting. No defeat is more than transitory. No disappointment is conclusive. Let those words of Brendan Manning soak in for a moment. At the fullness of time, in the days of Caesar Augustus, in Bethlehem, the city that David was from, a new king would be born. Right? A new king that would sit on David's throne and rule forever. And this is a king under whose reign we have the assurance, as Brendan Manning says, that, 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 that nothing can harm us permanently. No suffering is irrevocable. No loss is lasting. No defeat is more than transitory. No disappointment is conclusive. This is the king we celebrate. This is the king that's born in a manger in Bethlehem. Celebrating the birth of Christ at Christmas is a crescendo moment. It's a moment in history where all of history climax leads to this climax moment and where all of history since finds its meaning and significance. But here's the thing. What makes this crescendo moment in history so great is the news that comes with this birth announcement. Luke tells us that that in that same region, in those same days, when the fullness of time had come, there are shepherds out in, in their fields keeping watch over their sheep. And an angel of the Lord visits these nameless shepherds and shares some good news with them. Now, we don't know anything about these shepherds. We don't know their names. We don't know any of their history or, or what they do after this. We just know what function they played in their society, what, what, what job title they had, what, how culture viewed them, right? Shepherds were on the lower rungs of the cultural ladder. They were, generally speaking, considered to be dishonest and unclean according to the law. And yet, God chose these social outcasts to be the first ones to hear this glorious news. God chose these shepherds to, to let them know something big is happening, the fullness of time had come, there's something significant going on down in Bethlehem. The gospel doesn't come first to the religious elite. The gospel doesn't come first even to those, the faithful ones. The gospel, the good news, comes first to these social outcasts. Why is this so? I think it's so. I think it's to, to solidify who the message is for. I think God allows these shepherds to be the first ones to hear this good news because God wants to make sure that they do not miss out 
on who this good news is for. Listen to what the angel tells the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Hear that. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, uh, angels. I thought Mary was the one. I thought it's Mary and Joseph's baby. I thought that's un, unto who the, the baby was born. Unto you, shepherds. Unto you who don't feel like you fit into that higher echelon of the religious elite or the faithful ones. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus' birth is good news for all people. Great joy for everyone, Jew, Gentile, male, female, religious or cultural elite, social outcast. We all are recipients of this good news. Today, this day, in the fullness of time, our Savior's been born. Now, specifically, the shepherds are told that he's a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and, and this is significant. Why? In the Greek, he is the Soter Christos Kyrios. The, the Hebrew equivalent of this is the title Yeshua, the Messiah, God's anointed and chosen one. This is the title of the person for which the people of God have been waiting forever. It's, it's in, in, our, in our Bible, sometimes you'll see the Lord with all capital letters. As a translation of, of the Hebrew tetragrammaton uh, of Yahweh, because they, they didn't want to put all the letters in God's name written down so as to disrespect him. As a, it was a, a way of honoring him. But Yahweh, Yeshua, the Messiah, God's anointed chosen one, the Lord, has been born this day in the city of David. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul describes who this Christ is and, and what he will do for his people, why this is good news. You may say, okay, this is good news of great joy, but why? What, I, how, how is it good news of great joy? What's going to happen? In Ephesians, Paul says this, In him, in this child born in a manger, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, not which he dabbled on or sprinkled on or dipped a little bit on, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All of history leading up to this moment finds its significance in the birth of Christ. All of history after the birth of Christ finds its significance in this moment when the God of creation in the fullness of time comes in the form of man, born in a manger, that he might accomplish the forgiveness of our sins and the redemption of his people. See, the, the birth of Christ the birth of our Lord and Savior is this crescendo moment. It's this crescendo moment where in him we're redeemed back from evil and darkness and sin in this world. In him we're forgiven. And in him we're richly covered in God's grace. And in him we're given an eternal inheritance. That's significant. 
right? I mean, I don't know that we think about this at Christmas time, but that hope, the joy, the peace that we long for, it's not found in, in, in our traditions that we've grown up loving to have. It's found in turning our attention to this child born in the manger who accomplishes our hope, who brings peace through his reign over this, his kingdom. This is, the, this is the good news of great joy for all people. Our Savior, who is, the, who is Christ the Lord, has come, right? Now, this is important. Because God came to us in human form, because God came to us as a representative of mankind, born in the manger, in the days of Caesar Augustus, in the city of Bethlehem, we can say, this day we have been redeemed. We can say, this day we are forgiven. Not someday, not once upon a time, this day we are forgiven. This day we've been given a rich inheritance in the heavenly places. Church, I I hope that we understand that Christmas is the culmination, not just of the past four weeks in Advent. Christmas is a celebration of a culmination of all of history leading to this moment. And all of history looking back since that moment to find where we're at in reference to the birth of our Savior. So, you know, we should, we should enjoy the moments we have this Christmas. We should enjoy time with our family and our friends. We should enjoy presents. We should enjoy gatherings. We should enjoy our, our holiday traditions and our special meals that we share together. Those are all good for us to enjoy. But enjoy all those things because the fullness of time had come. And because God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to bring us the eternal gifts. Not these transitory gifts that come and go, not, not the gifts that fade, but these eternal gifts of hope, joy, peace, and love. You know, after the shepherds are visited by the angels, we're told that they decide to go and see this thing that, is, that they've been told. See this thing that has happened, right? And after going and seeing for themselves they recounted the good news that the angels had told them. After they show up and they, they see the child in the manger, if they see this sign that, that the, the child they're looking for will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, when they see it as the angels told them they would, that it would be, they share this good news with others. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 16 and 19 with me. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. See, their response was to wonder at the words of the angels. Their, their, their response was to, to marvel at what the angels had told them. Mary's response was to treasure these words. To, to, to ponder on them and treasure them in her heart. This Christmas, would you do me a favor? <coughs> Excuse me. Would you do more wondering and pondering this Christmas? I mean, I, I know that 
we all are super busy. Like, we, we can see the moments that we have in the next few days, the next week, and, and it feels very full. Very little margin in our time and our calendars. But I, I wonder if you would do this. Block off some time to wonder and ponder. Wonder about the promises of God. Wonder about how God has acted in history and how he has yet to, to, to reveal himself to us. Ponder the, the, who God is and who he's revealed himself to us as in this manger. The disciples, they wondered in a marveling sort of way. This is the same word that's used when when Jesus uses his authority to calm the, the, the wind and the waves in the storm uh, when he and his disciples are on the water. The same word is used to describe how the disciples respond to uh, Jesus showing up in the upper, the, the closed, locked upper room door, or the room, the upper room that's been closed and clothed. And... All right, I'm going to close in prayer now, people. <laughs> This marveling is what the disciples do when Jesus shows up in the room after he's, he comes back to life, right? After his resurrection. They marvel. They wonder. They don't say, oh, well, this is why that happened. Let me explain it to you. They, they, they don't move on too quickly to, to the next thing. They wonder. What is this thing? What's happened here? Mary treasures these things. The words that the, the angels have declared to the disciples. This Christmas, church, I hope that you will open your heart to wonder. To wonder at what has happened here in the fullness of time. To wonder at what kind of Savior has been born to us this day. So that you and I can say, this day we have been redeemed. This day we have been forgiven. This day we have been lavished upon with God's grace and a rich eternal inheritance. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we confess, I confess, and, and, and Lord, I invite us to confess together our, uh, our impatience, our desire to, to check the boxes of things that need to get done, to move on to the next thing, our, our, our struggle to be still, to be silent, and to notice you, God, to wonder at these things which you have said and done, to treasure them in our hearts. Forgive us for our impatience, and Lord, I also pray you'd give us the ability even if it's just for this next week, to have your spirit work in us and give us the ability to wonder in a way that we have not been able to do in a long, long time. Allow us to wonder this Christmas at the gift we have been given this day in the city of David. A Savior has been born to us who is Christ the Lord. May we wonder at that. And may we find the gift of Christmas, the hope and peace and joy and love that is ours in Christ Jesus as we wonder at that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.